Let's pray and ask God's help uh, for us to understand this passage. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word to us. Uh, We thank you for this passage uh, in Hebrews this morning. Father, we pray that as we look at it together that you might grow us in our love for the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. We pray that we might grow in our confidence in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to begin this morning uh, by asking a question. Do you feel guilty? Do you feel guilty? As you sit here in church this morning, do you feel guilty? Because I reckon there are many, many people today who feel guilty for one reason or another. Guilty because they didn't do something, and guilty because they did do something. Guilt for all kinds of reasons. And as a result, many, many people are weighed down by feelings of guilt. Uh, There's a saying I've heard of just recently. It goes like this. Guilt is the source of sorrows, the avenging fiend that follows behind us with whips and stings. Guilt is the source of sorrows, the avenging fiend who follows behind us with whips and stings. And, you know, I reckon there's a lot of truth to that saying. Anyone who's ever lived with a guilty conscience knows just how awful those feelings can be. Guilty feelings, they can weigh us down. They can gnaw at us, make us feel absolutely terrible inside. But the thing is, both Christians and non-Christians can have these guilty feelings. I have a non-Christian friend called Mark, and he refuses to ever come to church because it just makes him feel so guilty. Mark reckons that if he ever turned up to church, the roof would fall in on his head. Uh, He won't even uh, really talk about Christian stuff with me either because the whole concept of religion just makes him feel guilty, even though he's not a Christian. Uh, But then I also know some Christians who feel guilty. Uh, They live with this same kind of guilt as Mark. Uh, Sometimes uh, there's a particular sin in their lives Uh, that fills them with guilt, some indiscretion. And uh, sometimes that indiscretion happened years ago. But it doesn't seem to matter. Uh, Those guilty feelings just never seem to go away. Uh, Then there's other Christians who feel guilty, uh, not because of a a particular sin years ago, uh, but because of one particular sin that just seems to crop up in their life again and again and again. And for them, the guilt can be horrendous. You know, they sin, they feel guilty, so they try to change. They try to purge that sin from their life. But then after a while, they go and they do the same thing all over again, making them feel even worse than before. And on and on it goes in this downward spiral with ever-increasing feelings of guilt. There are so many Christians today who live with guilt for one reason or another, and it can really weigh them down. But you know, the funny thing is, the one place that can make them feel worse than anywhere else is right here in church. You know, when they're surrounded by other Christians, none of whom seem to have the same struggles with sin that they have, 
Uh, the hardest place can be right here in church when the preacher goes on and on and on about sin and it feels like he keeps looking right at them. feels like he's talking specifically about them. It's true. One of the hardest places for a Christian struggling with guilt can be right here in church. Guilt. It's something we all face. It's something we all struggle with. Some of us struggle with it for periods of time. Some of us struggle with it constantly. It can weigh us down and it can leave us feeling awful. And so this morning, what I want to know is, how can we get rid of these feelings of guilt? How can we clear our consciences from the guilt of sin? How can we get rid of these guilty feelings once and for all? Uh, And to find our answers, we're going to look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 10. Um, And as we uh, reach this passage, we get to the climax of the point the author's been making over the past few chapters. It's the climax of Jesus' high priestly work. It's the climax of the new covenant that God's made with his people. And it begins uh, with his great summary sentence of his point so far. He says... The old covenant system of the law and all its sacrifices was only a shadow of the good things to come. Only a shadow of the eternal inheritance that's bought by Jesus' death on the cross. Uh, Last week, Warren described it like an e-ticket that pointed towards a real 747 to take him to America. But here it's described as a shadow that points to a greater reality. It's like looking at a silhouette instead of looking at a real face. Look with me at Hebrews 10, verse 1. Hebrews 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. And because uh, the law isn't the ultimate reality, uh, the writer of of Hebrews says that it can never make anyone perfect. Sacrifices can never make anyone perfect. Uh, That's why the Jews kept sacrificing year after year. If it had made them perfect, the sacrifices could stop. Uh, They could have stopped because the people would have been cleansed once for all. No more sacrifices would have been needed. The price would have been paid. There would have been no more condemnation, no more punishment. And so there would have been no more reason to have all those feelings of guilt. Uh, Let's look again at verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. So the point is, the old covenant... the the law, it points to something better. It points to the new covenant. It points to Jesus' death on the cross for our sin. Uh, It points to the real way that people can actually be forgiven. Uh, But, of course, that means that the old covenant can't actually bring forgiveness. Not by itself, uh, but because the old covenant points to that greater reality. It can't actually take away sin itself. It can't take away guilt. It can't make anyone perfect. And so 
it can't take away the guilty feelings that people have. Uh, so that leaves us with a question. If the Old Covenant can't make anyone perfect, if it can't deal with sin, what was the point of it? I mean, why did God give this whole elaborate system of priests and sacrifices and tabernacles and temples and altars and all that stuff if it didn't actually do anything, if it didn't make his people perfect, if it never actually dealt with sin? Why did he give it to him? Well, the answer is... Uh, God gave the old covenant to his people to show them their sin, uh, to be a constant reminder of their sin. Uh, when I was growing up and learning to drive, my parents had a Holden Commodore. Now, I don't know how many people have seen inside a Holden Commodore before, uh, but they've got this thing called an overspeed alert on the dashboard. Uh, the way it works is uh, you set it to whatever speed you like and then... When you go over that speed, an alarm sounds. It's not a big alarm, it's just a beep. But it beeps again every time you go over that mark. So if you set it to 60 k's an hour, as soon as you hit 61, beep. So um, when I was learning to drive, my mum and dad, they always made sure the speed alert was set to the speed limit. Every time I was speeding, I'd know. And can I just say, it was super annoying. <laughs> Every 30 seconds. <laughs> beep! Oh! And then there was this annoying little red light on the dashboard that just liked to blink at me. Um, it was like a little conscience for me. A constant reminder. Every time I went over the limit. Beep! Flash! Beep! Flash! Well, uh, the writer of Hebrews, he says... That's what the sacrifices of the Old Covenant were. Uh, they were a constant reminder of sin, uh, like an overspeed alert beeping in your ear. Every time one of the Jews had to go up to offer a sacrifice, they were reminded of their sin. Beep! And they were reminded of the seriousness of sin. They were reminded that their sin kept them separate from God. They were reminded that it required blood to bring forgiveness. All the sacrifices could do was act like a guilty conscience because the blood of animals could never take away their sin. Now, that's what it says in verse 3. Have a look with me at verse 3. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The annual sacrifices of the Old Covenant were just a constant reminder of sin. They could never solve the problem of sin. But thankfully, there was a better sacrifice. A better sacrifice that could solve the problem. Uh, that could deal with sin once and for all. A sacrifice that could make people perfect. And of course, we know it's the sacrifice that Jesus offered when he died on the cross. The sacrifice of the new covenant the sacrifice that was shadowed in the Old Covenant, the sacrifice that it pointed to. Uh, thankfully, uh, there was this better sacrifice in Jesus, uh, the one who offered up his whole life as a sacrifice of perfect obedience to God's will uh, that, of course, culminated in his death on the cross. And now, in the next few verses, the author of Hebrews uh, quotes Psalm 40. 
and he puts these words onto the lips of Jesus. Uh, and by doing that, he says that Jesus fulfills these words. Uh, here we see, uh, we see Jesus himself declare that he's come to set aside the animal sacrifices of the old covenant, uh, that he's come to offer up his own body uh, in a life of obedience, that he's now set aside the old covenant to establish the new covenant. Now look down at verse 5 with me. Verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, and this next bit's the quote from Psalm 40, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am, I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. Okay, did, did you get how that works? How the, the new covenant sets aside the old covenant? Um, it goes like this. Uh, when Jesus came into the world, he understood that uh, God wasn't really after sacrifices in and of themselves. He understood that uh, what God really wanted was a commitment to do what he says. He wanted obedience, uh, not just an offering of the sacrifices that were required by the law. He wanted lives full of obedience. Uh, And that's exactly what Jesus offered. Uh, He did everything required of him by the law and more. He obeyed God all the way to the cross. Uh, So... In his life and death, Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of total obedience. And uh, by that sacrifice, he did what animal sacrifices could never do. He made his people holy once for all. Look with me at verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, uh, Jesus sets aside the Old, uh, Old Testament sacrificial system by offering to God that thing that he was really always looking for, complete obedience. And through that sacrifice, through that offering, Jesus makes his people holy. He was able to make uh, the Christians that uh, the book of Hebrews was written to holy, and he's able to make you holy too. Uh, if you're a Christian... If you're trusting in Jesus, then you have now been made holy. It means that you've now been made perfect before God. Perfect, washed clean, not guilty. Uh, But uh, remember, uh, the guys Hebrews was written to uh, were Jews who'd become Christians. And uh, they were coming under fire for turning to Jesus. They were being persecuted. Uh, And so they were being tempted, it seems, to, to go back to Judaism... Uh, to its laws and its sacrifices. And uh, so the the writer to the Hebrews, he wants to assure them that they don't need to go back, uh, that they just need to stick with Jesus. Uh, He wants to assure them that they don't need to have sheep and goats offered for them anymore as a constant reminder of their guilt. They don't need it. Uh, Why? Because Jesus' sacrifice is enough. It makes them perfect. 
Uh, now there's no more reminders needed and no more need for an overspeed alert. No more sacrifices. Because through Jesus, they've been made perfect forever. Well, how can, how can the writer to the Hebrews be so sure? Uh, well, it's the difference between standing and doing and sitting and waiting. When the priests of the Old Covenant stood and offered their sacrifices for the people, uh, do you know what they did next? They stood to offer more sacrifices. Day after day, year after year, over and over and over again, they kept standing because their sacrifices never finished, because their sacrifices could never make anyone perfect, could never take away the sin of the people. Uh, but Jesus... On the other hand, uh, well, after he offered his sacrifice, he sat down because his job was done. Uh, when I finish preaching here, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit down because my job will be done. Well, when Jesus offered his sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. Job done. And now all he does is he waits. He sits down, he looks at his watch... And he waits for the day when he'll return to punish his enemies and claim the people who've put their trust in him, uh, the people who've been made perfect forever. Uh, look at verse 11 with me. See it there. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, that is Jesus... When Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You know, I have a friend. He's a, he's a Christian friend. And he knows that Jesus' sacrifice, uh, his death on the cross makes him perfect. He even knows that Jesus' death for him makes him perfect forever. But, see, my friend, he has a problem. Uh, a few years ago, he was away on a work conference uh, and he met a girl. Uh, one thing led to another. They slept together. And they had a, a one-night stand. Now, uh, my friend was a Christian then and he's still a Christian now. But his problem is that while he knows this stuff about what Jesus' sacrifice achieves, he's not sure it really applies to him. He's not sure that God's really forgiven him, that Jesus has really taken away his sin. See, even a few years on, he still feels terribly guilty about what he's done. Even after confessing it to God and to talking to some Christian friends about it, uh, repenting and moving on, he still feels guilty. It gnaws at him. He's not sure that God's not going to hold his sin against him at some time in the future. Do you sometimes feel like that with your sin? You know that Jesus died for you and brings forgiveness. But you just aren't sure that God won't hold your sin against you anyway? Is that how you feel? Guilty and with no real assurance of forgiveness? Well, if it is, 
then you need to realise that there's nothing to worry about. There is no problem. There's no way God's going to hold your sin against you because he promises to change our hearts and remember our sin no more. Because the sacrifice has already been made once for all. I want more proof? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives it. He quotes from Jeremiah 31 to assure us that with the new covenant, our sin is totally gone forever. Take a look with me from verse 15. Chapter 10, verse 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. See, where sin has been forgiven, there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. It's not needed. No more reminders. No more over-speed alert. No more guilty conscience. Why? Because through Jesus' death, our sins have been forgotten, removed, taken away. As far as the east is from the west, they've been taken away and they won't be remembered anymore. So, do you get what these verses are saying? It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? The Old Testament law, the sacrificial system, couldn't make anyone perfect. It couldn't take away sin. Instead, it just functioned as a reminder of sin and guilt before God. Uh, But Jesus' sacrifice, it's the real deal. Because Jesus' sacrifice can make us perfect. It makes us perfect forever. No more sacrifices, no more reminders of sin. And of course, no more need for consciences filled with guilt. That's right. If you're a Christian, if you've had your sins forgiven by Jesus' sacrifice once for all, then your sin has been taken away once and for all. And so now you have absolutely no need to be weighed down by guilt ever, ever again. Uh, So let me ask you that question I began with this morning. Do you feel guilty? Do you feel guilty, do you? Maybe you should. I mean, if you're here today and you do feel guilty but you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, then I've got to say you have every reason to feel guilty. You should feel guilty because the fact is you haven't had the guilt from your sin taken away. Your sin and your guilt still remain firmly on your shoulders. You have every reason in the world to feel guilty. But if that's you... I hope you've understood the good news that we've seen together today. The fact that you can have your guilt taken away. You can be washed clean. You can be perfect in God's sight. All through the perfect sacrifice offered by Jesus for you. Don't you want that? Don't you want a conscience that's cleansed from sin? Don't you want it? All you need to do is put your trust in Jesus and it's yours. So friend, can I ask you, why why don't you do that today? 
Why don't you do that this morning? Why don't you walk out those doors guilt-free? Wouldn't you like that? Then put your trust in Jesus right now. Start following him right now and have your guilt taken away. Uh, But what about if you're here this morning and you're already trusting in Jesus, uh, you're already a Christian, but your life is still a constant struggle with guilt? Uh, Maybe you feel like my friend who had a one-night stand years ago. Uh, Maybe uh, for you too, there's some long-past indiscretion in your life that still fills you with guilt. It gnaws at you, the pit of your stomach. You wonder whether God's really ever forgiven you. Or maybe you've got that sin in your life that no matter how hard you try to get rid of it, uh, you just can't. It seems to pop up again and again and again. Each time you feel guiltier and guiltier. The weight of uh, that guilt, it sits on your shoulders, it weighs you down, it threatens to crush you. Does that sound like you? Friends, I know many Christians who think that they need to live with guilt like that. They think it's just part of their life, something they'll get used to, something to carry on their shoulders all the way to their grave. But you know the problem with trying to live with that kind of guilt? You know the problem? Well, it just makes that saying from the start the absolute truth. And guilt really does become the avenging fiend who follows after us with whips and stings. Because, you see, what it does is it ultimately, uh, guilt, it tears away your trust in God. Your trust that you're really forgiven. Uh, It rips away your confidence that Jesus' sacrifice was really enough to deal with your sin. It gnaws at you, it grinds you down until you have barely any belief in God's goodness and his love for you. And so you stop living your life for God. You just don't have the energy to do it. Friends, don't get trapped into that kind of thinking, will you? Don't let your guilt stop you from living your life for God. If you're a Christian and if you're feeling guilty, remember what this passage from Hebrews tells you about your sin. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice offered for you once for all. He's the perfect sacrifice who makes you perfect. The sacrifice that removes your guilt. Now there's nothing more to be done. No more sacrifices, no more reminders for sin. You've been forgiven. And as far as God's concerned, that means your sin is forgotten. So don't feel guilty anymore. You don't need to. Your guilt has been taken away. Now, I should say, uh, if you're a Christian here today and you hear all this and yet you still can't get rid of those awful feelings, uh, then can I suggest that maybe there's some other reasons involved and it might be good to talk to myself or maybe talk to Warren afterwards. Uh, Maybe we can help uh, or maybe you might like to contact a good Christian counsellor. But no matter who you are, know that you don't have to live with guilt anymore. Jesus has made you perfect and so now the guilt of sin does not remain. Now let's pray now 
and give thanks that Jesus has taken away our guilt. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice for us. We thank you that he offered a life of perfect obedience that culminated in him dying in our place to take the punishment for sin that that we deserve. We thank you that because of his sacrifice for us, we've been made perfect. We thank you that because of his sacrifice, we've been made perfect forever. And so there's nothing more that needs to be done to deal with our sin. We thank you that it's been done once for all. And uh, yet, Father, at times we still struggle with our sin, with the guilt that results. Please help us to remember that Jesus has taken away our guilt. Please help us not to doubt your promise of forgiveness, but to hold fast to Jesus, confident that he has done all that is necessary for us to be perfect in your sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.